Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Morning on this Wednesday, September the 8th, 2021. We're going to lead off this morning with a first look at the government taking shape in Afghanistan. I'm going to use the term caretaker government because that's the language you're going to hear uh, across the press today and in the coming days. Here's the challenge. The Taliban does not view this as a caretaker government. They view it as the government. Um, So whether those in the United States and the United Nations ever recognize this as the government of Afghanistan. It is the functional government today. So um, you're going to hear the language caretaker. I'm not really exactly sure what people think that means. Um, These are the people who the Taliban have now put in charge of the country just nine days following the United States and United Nations withdrawal. Um, So they have announced the formation of what is being described as hardline interim government. Um, They have filled top post with veterans of the Taliban, um, which oversaw, you know, these are are people who fought against not only the United States-led military coalition, they fought against the progress of their own country for, well, not more than 20 years, because these are the same people uh, who were responsible for the implementation of Sharia law when the Taliban was last in charge from 1996 to 2001. So the lineup of these senior leaders, it won't surprise any of you, includes no women. That's actually making the headlines. Um, Let's just be clear. The implementation of Sharia law, which is the Taliban's um, stated purpose here, by definition cannot include women. So um, any attention that that's getting that is going to be meaningless to the people – who are in a position to make decisions now in Afghanistan. So any any noise that you might have heard about an inclusive government or more moderate form of Islamic law, there, there's no such thing, really, when you are coming from the viewpoint of Islamic jihad, which is the viewpoint of the Taliban. They used gunfire, detonations, and beatings yesterday to crush dissent, not only in the capital of, of Kabul, but in outlying communities, and there are reports across the country of door-to-door teams hunting individuals who supported in any way the U.S.-led military coalition for the past 20 years. The Taliban is openly implementing Sharia law uh, and elevating known jihadists to positions of leadership. Let me offer you one name here, uh, and that is... um, Sirajuddin Haqqani. And you have heard of the Haqqani Network. You may also be aware that this individual, who, by the way, now serves as Afghanistan's interior minister, according to the Taliban, responsible for all of Afghanistan's internal security, Mr. Haqqani, runs, yes, you have heard this language, the Haqqani Network. The United States is offering, has been offering a $10 million reward for information leading to his arrest. Um, Well, hey, 
uh, no big question where he is or what he's doing. And so, um, you know, might be prudent to withdraw the offer of $10 million uh, for people to tell you where he is, since we now all know where he is. He is in a seated position in charge of Afghanistan's internal security. He runs the Haqqani Network, which is accused of plotting a 2008 bombing uh, that led to the death of one American, the 2011 suicide truck bomb uh, in Wardak province that killed 77 American soldiers, as well as uh, the Haqqani Network's responsibility for the 19-hour siege of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul in 2011. That is the guy now in charge of internal security for Afghanistan. That's the guy we would be relying on to help us get uh, the remaining people out. So we we had planned to talk this morning with Dave Eubanks, um, and he's actually in Afghanistan. And so we learned this morning that he's not able to join us today, but we look forward to talking with him in the coming days. Uh, not only about what he is doing in Afghanistan and what his experience there uh, has been this week, but um, but what's going on with the Free Burma Rangers. All right, so instead, we're going to talk with Steve Arterburn uh, about a new book series that will be of interest to you, well, if you've got teenagers and sometimes they're naughty. Yep, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Really excited to have Steve Arterburn back with us today. You certainly know him from uh, the the country's most popular Christian counseling talk show, New Life Live. You also know him from uh, just any number of books that he's written over the course of time. Steve, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Great to be with you. And uh, yeah, it's a wonderful thing to be able to be with people live on the radio. And I'll just mention it's on channel 131 of Sirius XM at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And of course, uh, you could get it at newlife.com also. Awesome. All right. Newlife.com. Great, uh, great place to visit um, directly with Steve and uh, and find out where you can listen live um, as well as where you can listen um, to delayed to delayed rebroadcast as well. All right, so Steve, let's talk about the questions that parents are most often asking you today. What are you hearing from parents in terms of the challenges that they're facing in the 21st century that you know really no prior generation of parents ever experienced? Well, <clears throat> one question is what what the heck happened to our world? Uh, that's that's pretty uh, common because you know there was a time when you could literally kind of evaluate a person based on how their kids were turning out. But that really isn't true today. They are up against so much stuff. There's so many millions more pieces of data for them to kind of integrate into their reality. And a lot of that data is really horrible and crummy. So uh, a very common thing is how do we protect our kids And secondly, how do we raise Christian kids in this uh, very, very weird and strange world where, just like in our school district, uh, they were uh, reading at a uh, school board meeting, one of the very upset parents that the preschoolers are, have access to a book that says, you know, when I look in the mirror, I see Tommy. 
And I also see Tammy in the mirror too. And, and so, you know, I, I really feel great compassion for po- folks struggling uh, with gender identity and things like that. But at age five, we, we should not be, a school system should not be trying to influence a child in any way. That's, that's the parent's job. And so uh, I think it's a very complex and difficult world. And we've tried to do a series here on understanding and loving the kids with some very tough problems. And so our first two books that we've released, one is How Do You Understand and Love Your ADHD Child? And the other one is Your smart, your Pot-Smoking Child, because a lot of kids think that uh, marijuana is harmless because it's legal and all of that. And then a lot of parents of ADHD kids are saying, well, we should never, ever medicate these children. That's of Satan. And so we're trying to help people uh, understand what is the best thing to do, what is the right path to take with kids, which isn't a reaction to anything. It's a response to how your particular child uh, is and how they're wired and what would be best for them. So there's no blanket um three-point poem or something you could apply to every situation. Every child is different and unique. So one of the things you said um, there, and let me just remind our listeners, I'm talking with Dr. Steve Arterburn. We are talking about a new series of books, Understanding and Loving Your Child. The first two are available, Understanding and Loving Your Child with ADHD and Understanding and Loving Your Child Who Smokes Pot. Um, you can you can find Steve and lots of information at newlife.com. One of the things that you said, Steve, um, and I want to just circle back to it, is what is the parent's job? So when we talk about the role of parents and the responsibility of parents today, um, different people and certainly different institutions have different answers to that question. Um, what is the parent's job from a Christian worldview? All right. Well, I think... What you do is important. There's no question about that. But what what is more important is how you react or respond to what your child does. No child uh, is a robot. And you can, you know, I had a friend that had three children, and he was a genius at raising children. They were wonderful. Then he had a fourth child, and everything Mm. He thought he knew it just didn't work. It wasn't appropriate. So every child is different. So not only do you want to be a great example for them, which none of us uh, have that down uh, perfectly, and some of us do it horribly, setting an example, you want to do that. You want to teach them about truth, God's truth, that God is love and he's for you. You want to, and you want to help them understand a concept known as delayed gratification and not respond and react impulsively to everything that feels good because at the end of the day you want to feel good about yourself so we got all of that stuff and none of that can be taught and transferred without eye to eye eyeball to eyeball connection with a child that actually requires more listening and asking than talking and uh, lecturing. So, so you got all that. 
But really what's important is when something happens that needs a consequence or response, how you handle that has everything to do with the future. I have a daughter who's 30 who has never been a a rebel, uh, compliant, uh, never smoked pot, drank no alcohol in high school, graduate, maybe the only female to ever graduate from Laguna Beach High School in California, a virgin who'd never touched drugs or alcohol. Well, then we had a 23-year-old who was into everything. So what we did at age 16, we responded to that. We didn't think, oh, well, one day he'll be like the the 30-year-old daughter. No, we sent him to the wilderness in the middle of winter, knowing that he would not spend Thanksgiving or Christmas with us, knowing he would be in the wilderness the coldest time ever. I got to tell you right now, he is one of the most wonderful uh, men of integrity, a single guy, full of the Lord, uh, and, and worshiping God in a way that you'd want. Because We didn't respond the same or react the same. We didn't think it was a phase that he would get out of. We needed to do, we needed some drastic measures taken to turn this guy around. There was no guarantee that he would, but he did. And so, again, what what you do is important, but what you do in response to what they do is much more important for many, many situations. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Steve Arterburn in just a moment. We are discussing the Understanding and Loving Your Child series. We'll be right back. Picking up our conversation with Dr. Steve Arterburn, we are talking today about the Understanding and Loving Your Child series, two books already available in the series, Understanding and Loving Your Child with ADHD and Understanding and Loving Your Child Who Smokes Pot. You can find Steve and uh, and his program at newlife.com. Steve, let's let's focus in on the ADHD question and conversation. Um, that is certainly a great a huge and maybe growing um, reality for parents today. Yeah. Well, I uh, have ADHD and I've dealt with it all of my life. I didn't know I had that until I was watching a television show and I heard all of these people describing me. And then I listened long enough to to find out that there was this diagnosis uh, that we all had. And which brings me to, one of the headlines where people say, well, you know, you don't want to label children. Well, I got to tell you something. Yes, you do. Let me tell you why. When I found out that there was a label called ADHD or a diagnosis, that this was something that other people experienced, other people knew about, that there were treatments available for it. I got to tell you, it it was a a wonderful thing. So uh, we don't want to uh, hold back. I mean, there's certain, you don't want to shame your kids with some label or something like that. But in this case, if a child has this, it, it doesn't give them an excuse uh, to be any way they want to be because they have this thing. No, it, it gives us a path 
for it to be treated, to be managed. I got to tell you, one of the greatest blessings of my life is having ADHD. I don't think I could have done half of what or a fourth of what I've done if I didn't have it. It it makes you so spontaneous, creative. You see things other people don't see. And so this isn't something uh, to produce shame or something that is a diagnosis of dread. It's actually a gift. And for some people, it can be treated by changing a few ways that you do some things. Others, exercise and supplements will take care of it or make it manageable. And there are others that need medication. We hear the headline that people are over-medicated, and they are. That kids are being medicated that don't need it. And that's true. But what about your child? Just because other kids are misdiagnosed and overly medicated, that doesn't mean that, that your child. Uh, shouldn't be medicated, shouldn't get some kind of medication. Um, and, and, and it doesn't mean that they should either. You have to respond to the specific unique needs of your child and not take some headline and apply it to your very, very unique and wonderful child. All right, Steve, on the topic of ADHD, one of the things that you talk about is, you know, that we really need to be equipping our kids, um, building their character and their competence rather than conflict, failure, shame, or disconnection. Talk about the approach that you take in understanding and loving your child with ADHD. Yeah, well, if you are always irritated because you thought you were going to talk about one thing with your child and A few seconds later, you wake up and, oh, you're totally on a different subject. If you're always being irritated at that, that's not going to help you have a connection. But if you could say, you know what, my child, uh, we're about to sit down for, or we're going to go on a trip. We're going to drive 30 minutes over to the other place there. And you realize I may be in five different conversations on the way, and that's just the way it is. That can be fascinating, entertaining. It can be interesting to you rather than you react with some kind of, oh, my gosh, you know, what are you doing again? You know, I thought we were talking about this. Also, if you're expecting your child uh, to spontaneously have a deep, rich, uh, insightful uh, connection with you, then you're going to be disappointed. In fact, you're going to have to create that connection. uh, You're going to have to have those times when there is space available for both of you to talk, uh, both of you uh, to share, and then for you to invite that ADHD child to kind of get off of the merry-go-round there or get out of the circus that's in their brain and come and into your little tent and connect with you on an emotional and a spiritual level. It's just a different experience than with most kids. And if you are easily upset, irritated, whatever, uh, that's not going to go well. The connection that you have with that child and the touch that you have with that child, some have actually, it's an exaggeration, but they've said that is the cure to it. Um, We have a thing that is so disconnecting with the world, the ADHD mind, But it is truly eye-to-eye contact, touch, uh, time that provides some sanity in the midst of that. It doesn't cure it, but it sure makes it better 
and it provides some healing at whatever uh, level of healing can be experienced by that child. But I would not ever raise a child with ADHD without having uh, that child assessed. You know, there are different types of the problem and see if there uh, is medication needed. Is there some kind of um, supplement that would be better? And what kind of counseling uh, do I need to provide this child to keep them on the right track? All right, that's Steve Arterburn. The book series that is rolling out now is Understanding and Loving Your Child. The first two are already out, Loving Your Child with ADHD and Understanding and Loving Your Child Who Smokes Pot. You can uh, connect with Steve online at newlife.com. Steve, what's next in the series? Well, we have, um, I think we've got six different books. And of course, we have to address uh, the child that has the uh, eating disorder. And that's Mm -hmm. so common, uh, both the anorexic and then very common with everybody sitting around looking at a screen, uh, the child that becomes morbidly obese or even embarrassingly overweight. We want to help those kids too. Mm, That's awesome. All right, Steve Arterburn, as always, thank you so very much. You guys can connect with Steve online at newlife.com. We'll be right back. Well, recognizing that it is a small world after all, a couple of international headlines here really quick. The United Nations International Atomic Energy Agency reported on Tuesday that Iran is refusing to grant inspectors access to nuclear-related sites across that country while continuing to bolster its nuclear activity. Um, And Mexico's Supreme Court ruled yesterday that a law in uh, the state of Cohila, Uh, which was imposing up to a three-year prison term for women who received abortions, Um, Mexico's Supreme Court has ruled that that is unconstitutional and that effectively decriminalizes the practice of abortion nationwide in uh, in Mexico. So that is a story that's going to be topping the news uh, today as well. We're going to make a survey of some other international headlines with our friend Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sometimes what we say to our kids isn't what they hear. I mean, we're both speaking English, but to them, it sounds like gibberish. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Most parents start out with very good intentions. They want to guide their kids with wisdom. They want to help them when life gets hard. They want to make the most of a teachable moment. But guess what? Your teen might be missing it. Your son or daughter doesn't always hear those good intentions. Instead, they hear a lecture or a judgmental attitude. As parents, let's check to make sure we're not hypocritical. And second, let's help our kids know that whether or not they understand us, we want the very best for them. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer is back from Mission Network News. You can read more about what we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me this morning. Absolutely. So I'm um, I'm looking at six headlines right now at missionnews.org related to Afghanistan. I will sum them up this way, and then you can um, you can pull whatever threads you feel most led to pull. Um, Christians are fleeing the Taliban. There are some stories coming out that are not verifiable, and some that are um, verifiably untrue. But people are fleeing for um, safety to Iran, to Pakistan. The situation is volatile, and the first Afghan refugees have arrived in the United States. So that's a summary of the six um, the six articles posted right now at missionnews.org related to Afghanistan, and there will uh, there will be more. So, Ruth, um, from your perspective, what's the most essential thing for us to know today related to Afghanistan? There are two things that come to mind. Um, one is be careful will you, where you get your information. Um, there are rumors that are circulating that I've actually been asked about by a number of people involved in mission circles. So that these rumors are, you know, making it up the chain, um, and people are trying to verify things that they're hearing. And what there, there's one rumor that uh, the underground church in Kabul has been. Uh, martyred. And it's it's actually related to a comment that someone made on the uh, Facebook page of The Chosen. Um, there's no specific information that relates to that story, but that's making the rounds and people are sending it out in prayer alerts and things like that. And I want to just say we have to be careful about where we get our information because sometimes we're getting uh, misinformation. Sometimes we're getting information that isn't verifiable. And we don't want to do anything or say anything that either um, is untrue or that um, misleads people to dismiss stories because it is a rumor. So, you know, we talked to Voice of the Martyrs about that story, and he just basically says, go with sources that are trusted. That's like Voice of the Martyrs or ministries that you know that you've vetted um, that are giving you information from inside the country. Um, Try to balance your sources. So, you know, you can look at mission reports, you can look at basic news information and, and try to find uh, what the overlying, the overlapping things are that that are common there. Uh, we do a lot of vetting when we do our stories. We do a lot of research. We ask questions. We try to make sure that what we present is as accurate as it can be um, with accounts from on the ground as much as we can without endangering people. So do your research when you when you look at these situations. You don't have to know every detail in order to know how to pray for believers in Afghanistan, but it does help if you're if you're well-informed and you're informed with the truth. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is there are good news stories that are coming out of Afghanistan. It looks overwhelming. These stories that we're seeing in secular newsrooms are really hard to, to watch because what you get is this, over, um, this overwhelming fear that comes rolling off of the country, off the people who are still there, who are trying to get out, who feel trapped. Uh, the stories you're hearing from Taliban, um, it's it's a fever pitch of scary stuff. And we want to remind folks that God is in control and that God has been using his people to respond to some of these things. One of our partners uh, through FMI is uh, sharing a story that's really quite cool. Um, and it starts with a guy that was studying to be an imam in Pakistan. And he was one of the guys that could actually issue the fatwa. So he was considered a, a high-level cleric. And someone shared the gospel with him. 
that's really kind of a dangerous thing to do in Pakistan, but it still is happening, and the church is still growing, and this man became a follower of Christ, and his name is Pastor Javid. While he's been watching the situation in Afghanistan, he was trying to figure out how best to respond to them, and they decided that with the network of churches that he's planted, he will be helping uh, bring Afghan uh, Afghan Christians and other others out of uh, the out of the country, out of uh, from underneath the Taliban's rule, and uh, it's been a difficult situation for them. Um, but the second convoy has made it out of Afghanistan, and they are in Pakistan right now. So it's sort of like you know which which is the frying pan fire kind of a thing for the Afghan Christians. It's a safer place to be in Pakistan than it is for them to stay in Afghanistan. And one thing I wanted to mention about this is that FMI has told us that because of listeners like yours, um, the the costs is associated with uh, resettling the refugees in Pakistan has been covered because folks have been really generous. They have been looking for ways to speak into a difficult story and to um, enable, empower the body of Christ to do what they do best since we can't be there ourselves physically. So, you know, just because folks are helping, they want to find a way to get involved. First two convoys are out of Afghanistan and they're resettling in a, in Pakistan. That is 52 families. Um, so this is something to be praise, praising the Lord for. Um, a lot of the families are Muslim. So it wasn't just Afghan Christians that they were helping out. They were helping a lot of other people out. Um, and because these folks are Muslim, they are open to hearing the gospel because of the hands and feet of Christ that have assisted them in a time of great need. So when you're looking at stories of what's happening in Afghanistan, keep in mind that God is moving through his people and that it's not always an awful story. It is terrible, but there's hope. There are ways to find your place in the story because we have partners that are on the ground that are moving in situations like this. Um, it's it's important to stay connected with the the news that is going on because there is a new government and the new government is even more hardline than one than the one that was previously in place. So um, the things that are being shared are concerns because we know the character of what has been in in place before. Um, so be praying for those who are still in the country. There are a number of partners on the ground who have decided to stay in the country and be a witness. It's very similar to what happened with Iraq and Syria when the Christians all fled. And there were some believers who stayed in Iraq saying, if we all leave, there won't be any light in the country. So mm -hmm. there are folks that are going to be staying there. Um, be praying for them because it is a really difficult situation. Um, at the same time, there are others who are outside who are saying, okay, Folks are coming out. We need to find a way to speak into it. So we have partners who are uh, working primarily in India who have found a way to assist the Afghan refugees that are coming to India, and that is through education. Um, you know, you and I have talked about how important it is to make sure that that refugee populations um, still have access to education uh, because things have been disrupted and things like that, and how vulnerable uh, kids without an education are to being turned into extremists, um, the ideologies, the uh, just the attraction of being paid for something when they would be paid so much less because they're unskilled labor. Um, so an education makes a difference, and Bibles for the World is ramping up their program for helping the uh, the refugee kids uh, in India 
that are primarily Afghan refugees. And Tent Schools International has also been ramping up their programs because they're seeing more of a need now that you have other uh, refugees pouring out of Afghanistan. So there's there's lots of things to be considering, lots of angles of the stories to to find where your niche might be and a lot of things to be praying for. Be praying for the ministries that are there because um, they need creative wisdom. Uh, They're not always praying for protection. Sometimes protection helps so they can get work done, but um, they're often praying for boldness, courage, wisdom, and, uh, and the right people in their path. So be praying for those. I love that. I want to encourage people to visit missionnews.org where you can read a number of articles related to the flow of people now out of Afghanistan, where they're headed, the ministries that are helping them, um, the ministries that will be uh, setting up schools and other kinds of means by which these people can find a new life in a new place and a living hope in Jesus Christ. That is our heart's desire. I think that the perspective um, the point that you make about perspective is so critical and crucial, Ruth. You know, we tend to see things from such a worldly perspective, but what's happening from the eternal perspective of God in terms of how he's drawing people unto himself and how he's using Christians, both who will remain in Afghanistan and those who will be dispersed through this. Um, it's just, it's hard to know um, exactly Uh, what's happening in a given moment, but we can trust that God is sovereign over all of it, and God loves each and every one of these individuals and their families so deeply. So thank you for that. Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, Ruth's going to share with us some stories um, outside of Afghanistan uh, from India and from Lebanon. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, you can read what we're discussing at missionnews.org. Ruth, let's um, turn our attention just slightly from Afghanistan to India. Yeah, India, uh, well, we had mentioned that um, Bibles for the World was uh, ramping up their programs to reach uh, the refugees that were coming into their country from Afghanistan and places beyond. But a lot of the refugees that are already in India are from Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, they, while they're doing ministry, there's there are other things to consider as well, because uh, at the same time, the Hindu radicalist uh, government has been putting a lot more pressure on uh, those that they feel are not um, – following along the way that they should be. So um, it would be higher pressure on uh, religious minorities in the country. It's on the lowest caste. It's on women. Um, And this is one of the things that um, Bibles for the World has been highlighting uh, within recent days. There's a new wave of persecution underway. Yes, that's true. But in some places, it's even more than in others. So uh, Uttar Pradesh state is a good example of what's happening with the, the higher uh, rates of persecution, the the pressure that is increasing on um, the the network of uh, churches there. It's one of these situations where um, people can act almost with impunity uh, against the Christians who are in Uttar Pradesh state. And there are multiple states across India that are strengthening the anti-conversion laws or strengthening other things that uh, allow government officials to um, well, like I said, act with impunity. Um, so you've had 
a lot more reports of Hindu radicals that have attacked believers, have attacked churches, have destroyed church property, and there is no recourse. It, you know, police arrest usually wind up arresting the Christians involved, the people who are complaining about being attacked, than uh, they do uh, the folks who are responsible for the attacks. A lot of that is because they look at Christians as um, being part of a movement that's destroying Indian culture. So this this Hindu nationalism is at the root of so much of what drives the violence that we've been hearing about uh, with the increases that uh, in, that cause a lot of challenges for believers. Um, you know, as the laws get more uh, strict, as they increase the penalties that um, that you can Im uh, impose on folks for breaking the law, it's going to re require a lot of creative wisdom from folks like Bibles for the World to know how to continue to be able to do ministry in the country while not breaking the law. And in some cases, they may not have a choice because if you just open your mouth and say, I follow Christ, that might be breaking the law. So there's going to be some tricky stuff in the days ahead as the new uh, strengthened laws go into play. Um, we're looking at a couple of different states that are known for the persecution of Christians. So Orissa, Uttar Pradesh, uh, Madhya Pradesh, and um, be praying for folks that are working as the hands and feet of Christ in these areas because uh, we've already started seeing um, a lot of attacks. In fact, they're so common that uh, they're happening almost every day. So you're not going to get every single report of what's happening in, in that because it would just all start sounding the same. Just understand that the crucible is about to get hot. Mm, hotter. Yeah, no question. Hotter, yeah. All right, um, Lebanon. We we turn our attention to Lebanon on a fairly regular basis, but tell us why we are turning our attention in particular there today. There are, you know, I, Lebanon is one of those those places that uh, it's been heartbreaking to watch what's happened there um, because they've gone from a developing nation to, you know, to almost a third world country. Um, the economic issues, the uh, fallout from a disaster and all of these issues have just played into uh, a collapse of what's happening in Lebanon. Um, last week, the government ended fuel subsidies. So not only is fuel at a premium and hard to find, it's uh, affecting electricity, it's affecting transport. Basic things like electricity and transport are becoming luxury items now in Lebanon. Food is a luxury item in Lebanon because bread has stopped being subsidized and it's expensive to find anything if you can find it. And we keep saying these kinds of things because it's getting harder and harder and more challenging as we go uh, to see these kinds of things. So, you know, that that's just for what's facing the Lebanese citizens who used to be the middle class and now they're finding themselves falling below the poverty line and everybody is trying to find and, and secure the same resources for themselves. So the issue of refugees doesn't really hit the, the radar screen anymore. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, our friends from Horizons International basically say there's local compassion fatigue. People just don't care about the refugees because they have so many problems of their own right now. Um, it's becoming unrecognizable. The, the country is becoming unrecognizable because of what's happening there. And uh, so when you have something like a refugee camp in Bacaw Valley that burns to the ground, Nobody notices. Nobody cares. Um, so if the local people don't care, how is Reuters going to find out about it? This is this something that was brought up to us from Horizons International. They they told us about the fire in Bacaw Valley. 
and it it burned the whole refugee camp to the ground. So hundreds of people are displaced. Bacow Valley is like um, it's the heartland where you grow everything. It's it's the place that is fertile for agriculture. So it's not just one spot. It's it's a region of Lebanon, and there are refugee camps all over Bekaa Valley. There are hundreds of refugee camps. So one refugee camp burning to the ground amidst the hundreds that are out there doesn't seem like very much. And that that is also contributing to the fact that people weren't paying attention. But there was no information about it. On There were no news articles about it. There was nothing on uh, Lebanese news about this refugee camp that displaced hundreds of people. And Pierre was really big. Pierre um, uh, Hosni with Horizons International was asking that question. If local people don't care, how is anybody else going to find out about it? How are we going to meet the needs of these people who've been affected, whose lives have already been turned upside down and they find themselves living outside their country, stateless and homeless, um, and now their home is burnt down again? They fled because their homes are made of highly flammable things. And when a fire starts within uh, the the confines of their living space, it goes up quick and it spreads fast. So you've got plastic, you've got paper that is, you know, filling the areas in between these these tent cities um, to try to insulate these uh, dwellings um, from the cold that comes through in the winter. And the people cook inside inside their, their dwelling spaces. So when it gets out of control, you can see how fast this will go up. Um, this is something where Horizons International found themselves responding to something because nobody else was. They, mm-hmm. It wasn't in their plan. They didn't even know about this camp until it, it caught fire. And then they were, they were there uh, bringing in food and tarps and uh, trying to find a new place for these refugees to, to resettle in, in another space. Um, it's, it's another thing where they're the hands and feet of Christ. It's an opportunity for them to represent the love of Jesus. When you consider everything else that goes, that's going on right now, Lebanon is not particularly friendly to the Syrian refugees because of a long history of, um, uh, hard feelings because of the occupation, because every family in a certain generation was affected by the occupation. They have long memories and the refugees, were uh, kind of a hard pill to swallow when they came over to Lebanon. So folks have been learning. Believers have been stretched into learning how to forgive their their neighbors, forgive their enemies. And um, then they, they get these opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ, to love on people who have no other recourse and to share the hope of Jesus Christ in them, to them uh, in a time when uh, nothing else is making sense. So be praying for these ministries. The folks in Lebanon are tired. They are really, mm-hmm. really tired. Um, you know, I, I look at it and I think this is like the Haiti of the Middle East. Yeah. Haiti is always struggling and it feels the same. Let us not uh, grow weary in doing good. Um, we cannot turn a blind eye. Uh, we also have a hard time knowing what's happening in places and spaces where local people are not even reporting out what is happening um, in their own community. So thank you, as always, Ruth, for being one who does report out, who finds what is going on, finds out about it, connects us to it. Uh, Just encourage everybody to check out these stories and others at missionnews.org. That's all the time we've got in this first hour of Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Let me just encourage you um, in the moments in between to consider what it means to not grow weary in doing good. 
The resources are available because they come from God who cares about each and every one of these precious people. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.